Welcome to another episode of the Hugo Floss Podcast. Today we are recording on the 29th of August. It's a, a lovely Sunday and it's a little bit warmer I am. Hopefully the weather's nice where you are when you listen to this tomorrow. In the meantime, Nancy Hugo, what is up? Well, you said tomorrow. That's August 30th. Um, boy, August has already been wiped away off the calendar other than people are really anxious to see what happens in Afghanistan. And I wasn't going to bring that up, so um, just erase that. Yeah, today is a typical Sunday, you know, just like Monday and Tuesday. Days go by, I'm doing my thing, weather's okay, Arizona's just finished a, a massive heat wave, and I understand we're going to get cool, and then it's probably going to go up again, but that's Arizona, that's the way it is here in the desert yes. very hot and then two days of reprieve and then we go back to very hot again and that's why we have air conditioning i used a relative time there which is uh ne never a good idea unless you are doing something live because if somebody's listening to this tomorrow then i just said tomorrow which to them would be tomorrow so relative times and and uh familiar locations are no-nos that's okay. I covered uh, you with the August thirtieth thing. No, no, no. I was just, I was just uh, attempting to be funny. But uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, there's really we we keep touching on these heavy topics like uh, vaccinations and and uh, global politics and and whatnot. And those things are happening either way. But uh, and, and I, I do have to say, there's a lot of podcasts where they just delve into this over and over and over. So yeah, you know, why be the same old, same old? We can talk about what we. Yeah. What our life is like. Yeah. Well, the frustrating thing is that there's all this talking and talking and talking. And then at the end of it, people are just, they have their adrenaline and their uh, cortisol levels up and they're frustrated. And uh, maybe I guess if they have their Patreon or their super chats or whatever, that they have fellow angry, excited people passing them money so they could chime in with their own comments. But at the end of the day, the only thing that has happened is hand wringing and, uh, pearl clutching and any other expressions you can think of for a uh -huh. reaction without action. So anyway, uh, I know, uh, we have a couple of more generic things, but I have, um, I'm not gonna say I'm hooked on it, but when I go to the gym, there's, uh, I, I do 30 minutes on a, uh, they have, they have many machines. So I do 30 minutes on an elliptical to sort of warm up and stretch out a little bit. It's, it's um, it's an elliptical with sort of ski pole upper body motion. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it, you know, kind of gets, it gets you all moving. So I do 30 minutes on that and they have a TV a, a, a monitor attached. Mm -hmm. So I usually watch something on the food network, whatever's on. So it'll either be like Bobby Flay or chopped or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the food networks, it's always fun. You know, interesting to watch people like, <laughs> I think chopped is my favorite competitor show just because it's quick and to the point yeah do you ever watch sort of... do you ever watch people just cooking in their kitchen professional chefs who are giving recipes yeah they have those but yeah. those, those are interesting but the uh <laughs> like uh iron chef or iron chef america those were interesting because they were kind of fun and and they weren't like cutthroat competition it was more friendly you know 
Uh-huh. Who's going to, who's going to come up with the weirder, more unusual. So chopped is sort of like that. There's very rarely like animus. It's more, you know, Hey, whoever wins, they're like they're all, they're all good. Right. There's no, there's nobody really loses. No backstabbing with those uh, big chef yeah. knives. No, usually people are helpful. They get out of each other's way, all that. There's no conniving and all that. So anyway, so the, uh, a couple, probably two weeks ago or so the, uh, there's a show on there called Kitchen Impossible, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the guest. Uh, the the host is uh, some British guy, and uh, I think it's been on for like 19 seasons now. It's been it's really? been on for a while. So I, I you know I would watch a couple of them, and usually because I'm not starting on a show boundary, I just start whenever I get there. So sometimes I would start watching that show a few minutes in or I don't make it all the way to the end. So I don't know how they, so I was like, Oh, let me, let me go track down these shows and see if I can watch the whole thing. So I started watching kitchen impossible, you know, full episodes. And at first I was like, Oh, it's pretty neat. So the premise is if you've never seen this before, uh, start off with a kitchen, I'm sorry, a a restaurant that is failing. Mm -hmm. And there's usually some, some crying, in recounting the uh, how I got here part of the story. And sometimes it's family-owned restaurants, which are always a good idea. Oh, or yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's, uh, there was one here in, in Las Vegas. Um, can't remember the name of it, but uh, there there have been a couple in Las Vegas, which, you know, oh, I, I, I could go check those out someday. Curious. But so she got married and then her husband felt sick one day and, seven weeks later never left the hospital so so they they had bought the restaurant together so she's basically hanging on to this restaurant trying to make it work in his memory kind of thing so everybody's got a story and their their restaurant is failing and they're you know 250 half a million a million dollars in debt keeping the place afloat and all that and that's that's shocking but uh, yeah, so what point you, do you th- do you throw in the towel and say, okay, yeah. should I add more money into bad? You know, right. So so the premise of the show then is this guy. I think his name's Robert, but I, I don't know. That's an exercise left to the listener. So Kitchen Impossible, Food Network, the host, British guy, walks in to the place, and so there's usually a camera crew inside the restaurant. They show him walking in, and the first thing he does is like if the door doesn't close all the way or it rattles or he'll look at the end like, Oh, okay. That's a good sign. Or, Oh, this place is kind of a mess or this place doesn't look like a bistro. It looks like a diner or, you know, so he'll start right in commenting on stuff and he meets the owner and he has them do a service and then he'll pick on people. Like, why are you not telling, you know, it's taking too long. Why are you doing it? And he'll sit in the kitchen and went, Hey, you guys are disorganized. So he's super critical. Mm, I had a relative like that. Maybe we're yeah. related. <laughs> I think you had a family like that. Yeah. So, so, um, and then he'll order seven, you know, five, six dishes and eat them. And he, <laughs> it's, um, it must be funny because you're hysterical laughing. It's you didn't cruel. Even well, but I mean, it's cruel, but it's tough love, honesty, right? So he'll, he's done this in multiple shows. He will take a bite of something like, um, the last one I saw, he's like, Ooh, the meatloaf looks good. Takes a bite of the meatloaf makes a face, takes a napkin, spits it out and says, that tastes like old dog food. And he'll tell the owner, the owner is usually the chef in these places. Mm -hmm. Not always, but usually. 
like, yeah, this is inedible. It was like, of all the dishes on it, this one is the only one. You know, so he's he's brutally honest. Uh, it's obviously it's one man's opinion. So, you know, maybe the place is popular. But anyway, so so I started I was watching these and uh, they're entertaining and they're sort of interesting. Right. Like when if you think about. We've we've talked in previous episodes of this podcast, the the joys of customer service, right? Mm-hmm. Waiting on the phone. Or, right. So this is another version of that. People go into a restaurant, they hope to eat something delicious or edible. Hopefully it gets to the table within the day and things like that. So so the customer experience as he witnesses it and as they capture on for the show, right? And it's the reality show, so it's edited. Yeah. I've I've been in a reality show. There's a lot of footage left on the floor. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then, but here's the, here's the weird part. And after you watch several shows, you're like, okay, these are all exactly the same show over and over. Yeah. Does he ever uh, go into a, let me ask you a question. Does he ever go into a restaurant and say, now this is delicious. This should be, you know, one of your main. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well that's nice. Yeah, to know. Not every restaurant is usually it's a problem of um, the, the quality of food is, is usually not the only or the overriding problem. It's usually something. Mm-hmm. that could be fixed often it's fine more often it's not fine he'll he'll totally uh rip apart people who use frozen or pre-made foods mm-hmm. right like this is where all your food cost is what are you doing what you can't you, why are you not making your own cheese sticks or whatever but so he brings in a construction pair uh they redesign the interior they tear down everything they have the staff of the restaurant take all the tables and uh, dishes and so they empty the place out they gut it they redo the entire thing in the meantime the guy robert the host gives assignments to people like i want you to go home and decide why you want to own a restaurant and you the chef guy you go home and design three of your own dishes with your own style and you make them for me tomorrow so he gives everybody an assignment the next day they come in and the world has changed and then he'll usually make a few things in the kitchen and uh he's like look you can make uh he made uh some sort of cauliflower dish breaded cauliflower with and i was like oh interesting i could do that myself um it's like because it was i think this one was the no fur uh vegan restaurant and i Mm -hmm. think that's the one one of them here in vegas there's there's a few here in vegas so and he's like oh the food cost is like a dollar and you can sell it for seven and that's Okay. So, and then, then they do the unveiling, the owner or owners come in and they close their eyes and they walk in. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh my God. Oh my God. And they've totally redone the place. That's like, you know, those shows where they redo the houses from a little uh, bungalow that looks like garbage to this mansion. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And so there was one where it was an Italian restaurant and family father owns the place he had a house fire and his wife left him for a guy that was playing in a band and so a little bit of, oh, of chaos reality. and his restaurants yeah. going under and the guy the host guy starts looking around the place and starts running his finger on things in the towel and he's like what is this and he finds like uh some sort of fungus growing and and he's like there i'm not eating anything in this place this this place is a you could be giving people salmonella and then he starts he kind of gets into a fight with the guy yeah nobody ever gets sick when they eat in my restaurant and they're yelling at each other and, and i like, wonder if that's all scripted do you think it is absolutely for the cameras yeah i, I there's no doubt about that so i mean i i would almost guarantee that he was miffed like what 
nobody's ever gotten and they're like can you redo that but this time pretend that somebody's stealing your kids <laughs> right so uh but anyway so it's a lot of high energy and at the end he's he's shown them how to make a few dishes how to compute food costs he gets one woman a new point of sale system because they're using one that's ancient so they do all these quick things now here's the rub apparently all of this takes place in two days oh yeah real reality right right so then, so as you're watching, these, first you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And until you, oh, wait a minute, this is in two days? And then I found a website where they've tracked the the before and after for each restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's like a impossible, kitchen impossible diary or something. And they've gone through and, and uh, you know, which ones are still open, which ones are doing better, which ones are about as bad as they were before. So it's it's an interesting exercise, but when you see that it's all two days, it's just for the camera. Well, yeah. So on the yeah. go ahead. On the one hand, it's interesting television. On the other hand, I cannot really accept it as anything more than for TV. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting um, that you talked about the diary because I was curious. After all of the changes, does it show a successful restaurant or? Have they shown, you know, we did everything for this restaurant, but still they're closing up because it's a no-go. Does that ever happen? Uh, well, the stats are what they are. Um, I'm not looking at it right now. I'll stick a, a link to it in mm -hmm. the show notes, the diary okay. thing. Um, I, if it's 134 restaurants or something like that total across 19, they're in the 19th season right now, Yeah. then probably like over 100 of them are still open. Well, like maybe 110 of them or something. And usually same owner, a couple of them are same owner, but they've been shown to be for sale. They check the Yelp reviews and everything and see how they're doing post remodel. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting, but these are the sorts of things. It's escapist television to be sure. There's no mention. There is, they, they are, you know, in the, in the midst of COVID for season 17 or 18, I guess. And, and now 19, um, so, you know, masks and they're part of the factor for, for difficulty is they're like here in Nevada for some time, they were capped at 25% capacity. So your restaurants got yeah. three empty tables for, so that's, that was an interesting component of it. So there's some, some legitimately interesting things. It's interesting to see the concepts that people have and the solutions that he comes up with are, mm -hmm. so it's interesting, but when you, the, the, the reality bubble bursts pretty quickly when you when you see that it's what two days are you serious yeah well i was gonna bring the design aspect into it because that's my forte sure and of course i can't remember the reality show where they redo these houses they get the people out of the house um yeah i can't it must have really made an impression on me because i can't remember the name of the shows but they would get the people, the whole family, out of the house, and then in a week, they would bring them back and see this totally remodeled, whether they added uh, a new level or just redid everything, and they would show it, oh, we did all this in a week. Well, here's the rub on this one. A couple of these houses were uh, talked about, you know, how wonderful they were, but this is what happens. In order to expedite this in a very short time they had shoddy workmanship and they didn't do the 
they didn't use the greatest materials. So to look at this remodeled home, it looked great, but people were saying, you know, things are starting to fall apart. Nobody wants to come and fix it because they donated their time to begin with, so we have to right. fix it, the homeowner. Right. Um, and Still also, have to pay taxes on it, right? I was just going to say that there was a family that had to move out of the house and sell it to pay the taxes on the house. So these things are a quick, oh, isn't that nice for the viewer? But it's not the greatest situation for the right. homeowner who's uh, been thrown at the, you know, you're dumped into this. You're not look, well, you're I, looking at the reality, the nice part of it, but nobody ever right. explains all of the negatives and the downside. I would have to wonder how, um, like the, I mentioned the, the, the fungus restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it's salmonella. He said that, but yeah, there, there, it was, he said, when's the last time you deep clean this kitchen? He's like, uh, <laughs> if you don't know the answer, then it was too long. So they tear the whole kitchen apart and they, you know, they're scrubbing everything and disinfecting, you know, well, at some point, doesn't the health department in a commercial kitchen or in a restaurant setting, uh, electrical inspections for structural changes and, cause you're basically doing, you know, low well, yeah. level tenant improvements yeah. and yeah. kitchen modifications well, that could have health department, health inspection. Yeah. And then in the home case that you mentioned, doesn't some inspector have to come out and make sure that. Yeah. The work is done. So I can't imagine how things are happening in two days or in a week. They're not. And they, they give you such erroneous information. I know there's a couple of shows, and I don't watch them anymore, and they're, most of the designers agree with me. They've caused nothing but problems in our industry. But hmm. there are times that they would suggest to the do-it-yourselfers, oh, you can go get a granite countertop, first of all, unless you have the expertise, you can't do it yourself. So they're saying, yeah, you can go to this, any place in your town and find boneyard granite and then have somebody finish off the edges and undermount the sink. And you can get all this done for $100 for a vanity. Well, not in this world. It just doesn't exist like that. So they give you erroneous information. And then two, a lot of those shows for design are for the do-it-yourselfer. Um, a lot of people think, oh, I can do that. They have no experience. And what would take a professional maybe a month to remodel, it would take a person who's the owner of the house maybe a year and a half because they still have to work. So there's so much that goes into this, so much bullshit that they're selling to the people. Um, but I wanted to go back to, um, first of all, yes, there are uh, restaurant inspections we both know that they pop in and they don't call you and say, we'd like to make an appointment to look at your restaurant for cleanliness and uh, coding. So they just pop in. And of course, they do in Phoenix publish that. And who wants to go to a restaurant that's um, been found to maybe have old meat with mold growing on it? Right. Meat dripping yeah. on the, you know, in the shelf. Like they usually say chicken is raw chicken is dripping on the cheese below it. You read yeah. all that stuff, you go, I'm not going there. And then there's those atrocious things where young people who are working at fast food restaurants do heinous things to your food. I tend to not even want to go to restaurants anymore. But I wanted to bring up the, uh, the fact of family owning restaurants. I just read 50 of the best delis um, one in each state and then the 10 they're all all the best delis 
are owned by Jewish families and they're working on their fourth generation of business. So it seemed to me the thing that struck me was, wow, these people really get along. Um, maybe they have a different ethics than a lot of people. You can't put two people together um, as partners in a restaurant and say, oh yeah, they get along great and it's been 10 years. Usually that's short-lived, but I have to uh, say, that uh, these delis have reputations that go on and on. There's one in New York I know that probably 40 or 50 years it's been around and still right. has a great reputation. So they must be doing to, something right. I would have to imagine if the if the if it's generational, then you know the kids like this is this is going to be your place. So whatever you do now, that's going to impact the continued existence. Like like if if you uh, if you break our reputation in the community by being a jerk to customers or, you know, mess with the food in any way. If you do something stupid, your business is going to fail because, right? Like yeah. you are part of this. So if you have that true vested interest in it, like if you hire a teenager to work at McDonald's, like I was when I was 16, I was working at McDonald's. This is not my restaurant. I have no interest in this place. It's a, uh, I was making $3 and 15 cents an hour, the good old days. And, uh, <laughs> So I have no, I have no vested interest in the future of this place. Um, now I, I will say it was the, if anybody is listening from the Phoenix area, it was in the Metro center mall. It was upstairs by the Broadway, the big McDonald's in there. And, um, I never witnessed anyone do anything bad to food. So we had a pretty reasonable crowd of people and we were all in that range, you know, 16 to probably 20. But yeah, everybody was there to get their punch their time card and get their money. Yeah, it was a job. So you never so looked you, at that as wow, I'd like to be a manager at at this place one of these days. I don't think. But that, if you're, yeah, if, but if you're, if it's this is this is going to be my restaurant someday, like you yeah. might take ownership of it, ownership of it early. Uh, so before I forget, there is one. I just I just uh, did a search on the diary page, and uh, there's Ginger Monkey in Chandler, Arizona. So at some point, maybe I could swing through there and. Cause I would love to ask the people like, Hey, I was in a reality show for something completely different, but, uh, yeah. How did this turn out for you? How did it go? Yeah. And as Off we've been mentioning in the last couple of uh, episodes here, you will be taking an extended vacation. If you will want to call it that to Phoenix for, so we'll be able to go to that place and actually uh, interview them and see how things panned out. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it would be interesting to know if it really was two days. Like, I'm not looking for salacious details. and. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't but two really, days. I can the, tell you without even listening to it. You can't do anything in two days. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, they sure make it sound like, I mean, it's rushed. There is no lingering. Mm -hmm. And some there was some comment about one of the restaurants was closed right after for electrical problems. And it, the the intimation was they had to have an inspection done and it took some time. And then somebody else commented like, well, you know, you can't really do an, an inspection in the space of the two days or so. So there are references to the tight time frame. So I would, I don't know if it's exactly two days, but it doesn't sound like it's two months. It sounds like it's as, you know, in and out. Right. So, so we will definitely be going to Ginger Monkey. Sure. Okay. Um, oh, I was going to ask you. So when you worked at McDonald's many years ago, what was the worst and best experience that you had? Um, 
the worst experience was probably when I, to me, was when I, um, I was, the, so the French fry vats, mm -hmm. there's hot oil. I think it's something like 400, 450 degrees. Uh, Too these, hot to I stick your were, finger in, right? No. Well, yeah, yeah. No, no sticking fingers in. Right. Uh, it was the nuggets and fish filet vats. So it's vegetable oil as opposed to the tallow that's, that was used at the time for French fries. So I don't know if that's the same temperature. I can't remember. But um, so every two days, I think. So this McDonald's was reasonably clean. There's really no, there's nothing that I would say, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. So every two days, they didn't do all the bats. So they, they had them offset, right? So some bats one day, the, some the other. So I was doing the fr the vats, which was, there's a ball valve behind a little steel door on the front. You roll this, uh, it's like a stainless steel mop bucket that's about maybe two, three feet in diameter. You, you lay down some filter paper, like a coffee filter. You put some baking powder around the edge to seal it. And then you let the oil flow into this thing and it filters. And then there's a little, it looks like a gas, like a car gasoline pump handle. Mm -hmm. And you run the oil through the filter back into the vat. Oh, reusing and, the oil. Yeah. You, I think they'd only reuse it for maybe three, two cycles or maybe three, something like that. It wasn't like if it, when it was discolored beyond a certain, uh, cause that's when it's been, uh, rendered basically. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer really cooking properly. So like I said, they, they were pretty good. They, they, I, I would eat all the food there and I, there was nobody there that I would say, Oh, don't let that guy touch my food. So there, there was a pretty good crew and they were reasonably attentive. Although you told me one time that the um, one of the patties, the meat patties, fell on the floor, and the guy who was his job was to fry it, picked it up and put it back on the grill. I'm not going to say it was a hundred percent perfect, but it was okay. definitely not rampant. Like, uh, yeah. So, so I so the ball the ball valve, mm -hmm. you would you would turn the ball valve, and the the frying oil would start flowing into this container. It was on wheels, right? So I, um, I crouched down, and I had my, uh, I had my. Uh, luckily, it was not polyester. It was these uh, blend gray je pants. Yeah. What? I was gonna say and, they were almost like chino, you know, gray. Yeah, they weren't. Luckily, they they didn't melt. So yeah. I'm foreshadowing here. But so when I moved the ball valve. It, instead of having any sort of friction to slowly open, the the valve just droop, like the handle just dropped mm -hmm. and it gushed out and it overshot the, the container that it was supposed to land in and it shot me in the leg, in the knee area. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and I, look, I mean, so I pulled the pants away from my skin. So not that it wouldn't have been bad, but that was the first reaction was get the stuff away from my skin. And then I went into the bathroom and I took the pants off and uh, put some cold water. So I did the, the normal first aid stuff, Boy Scouts, mm -hmm. yay. And um, so I really had first degree burns. There was no blistering or anything. So it could have been much worse mm -hmm. and it was not, but that was the closest I came to like a legitimate workplace injury. And of course there was never, I, I can't say of course, they, uh, they basically said, are you okay? I think somebody probably looked at my knee and they're like, well, if you need to go to the hospital, 
Otherwise, just go home and rest and whatever. So they, they weren't and come like, back tomorrow so you can do this all over again, well, they, right? <laughs> well, I think at the time I was pretty pro working. So I, I, I mean, if I was legitimately injured, I probably would have had a different take, but I was like, eh, I could have been much worse. At the time, of course, I thought it was going to be worse, but mm-hmm. it turned out not so bad. Uh, I will say there was another time, luckily, this did not affect me, but these two idiots that worked there, they would get their first thing and do breakfast. And they thought it would be fun to have a competition to see who could sharpen all of the sharp things the most. So grill scrapers, spatulas, anything. Mm-hmm. So normally you're, you uh, flip a burger, you stick the, the spatula under the burger and you flip it and you're, you got to get under the burger. And there's usually some cooking fat on there and then it starts to burn. And so, you know, you got, and then this grill scraper after you scrape the, the residual burned fats and whatnot off and you clear the grill off and you get ready to cook again. So these things are blades and they're sharp. Enough. So these, these two idiots like sharpen them to uh, surgical razor <laughs> precision, right? Didn't tell anybody they did this. So I want to say that three people had to go to the hospital because they were they didn't know that they were handling these things and they they would hit their finger and they're like what the hell and it oh sliced God. into their finger and yeah so that would have been the worst if that if I was involved with that but luckily all this happened before I got to work because I would work in the afternoons and evenings. So what's what's the good uh, experience you had over there? I would say or the best. So because you're working with people in uh, your age group, it's everybody's kind of in the same boat. It's not, it's not great work. Everybody's got a story. So is, and there are people you've never met before. Uh, unlike, you know, if you're, if you're in high school, you've probably, you know, you've known the people you're in school with for some amount of time. So here you, you're dropped into this social setting in a job where everybody smells like French fries and pickles and, you're oh, all yeah. tired and used to not come really home after money. work and just smell like a French fry. I remember yeah. that. And, and the shoes, you'd get the cheapest shoes possible because they would just get destroyed with all kinds of shortening and gross. And uh, so we'd go to drive in movies or we'd you know go over so and so's house for uh, movie nights or whatever. So that that was kind of fun. So it was socially, it was a, an interesting time. Uh, yeah, just. Uh, Again, because it was a uh, high school age people in a weird workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think fast food restaurants are uh, a great starter job. They're not a career. Do you think <laughs> for, it's good for high school kids to get a job like this? What did you learn from it? Uh, you well, the, the yeah. a couple. Well, the good, the nice things are, you know, the teamwork and camaraderie like i have to say they're, they're getting high school kids to coordinate the fast food workflow mm-hmm. i mean th- these are people that can't always they're, they're not always going to be graduating at the top of their class and but so did to, you have a manager that would oversee this yeah yeah but to have to have people dropped into this thing they're you know they're 16 maybe it's their first job and you're like okay you got to you got to do this. You got to follow this procedure. You got to go get the, and when you're going to cook new French fries, you have to do this. You have to hit the button and you have to, so it's not rocket science, but there's a lot of procedures and workflow. And then there's the communication with your co coworkers. Like mm-hmm. 
you know, I have a special order. I need a, a cheeseburger, no meat. <laughs> it's called a grilled cheese sandwich, right? So that's a yeah. legitimate thing. So you have to have other people who, what? A grilled cheese, no meat? And then somebody else will go, grilled cheese. And they're like, oh. So just the way that the the work and the communication would happen between high school students with varying levels of, of uh, experience, usually none or very little. It was an interesting, so from ex- experiential, uh, it's a good way to enter a practical workplace. Well, it's a good place for them to learn responsibility too, if for nothing else, get their yeah. own time. Sure. That, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. mechanics of, of working in general, but the nature of food preparation and um, it was interesting The the managers would grade people. So there was like a little worksheet and they would time you and you're like, they, they would show you if you were improving. So on the one hand, that's a little odd because you're like, man, this is, I'm getting the, the smallest amount of money possible. <laughs> yeah. To do this. Look what they're doing oh, yeah. now. How much are they making now? A minute, $15 an hour? I think uh, I I, some company, some, some of the larger restaurants are, are increasing minimum wage over the next year or two. And of course, working at McDonald's, you wouldn't get any tips. So that's pure. Um, yeah, I'm anti-gratuities, but that's another, that's okay. for another time. So I know in Las Vegas, that's not, that's not a popular thing. And I don't not tip, but I think the tipping scheme is broken. I did a podcast about that on uh, FFS Talk. Anyway, I, but I think the, the number one thing you should learn, and I will quote, uh, what's his name, Adam Carolla? Mm-hmm. He said, the reason it's the minimum is because that's not what you want to be making. So you get a job at McDonald's, you get some money in the bank, you experience the workplace and how, how it all works. And then you say, I do not want to do this for the rest of my life. Right. Is, you, was that your first job? Uh, technically, my first job was uh, busing and working in the cafeteria at the gallery downtown Phoenix. Oh, yes. Yeah, but how old were you? I was in fourth grade. Uh, I did work the NCR cash register, and I was able to count back correct change when one of your business partners was not. That's she tried true. to embarrass me in front of a customer, and I helped her count the money <laughs> and yeah. operate the register. I think she learned not to embarrass a fourth grader. Yeah. So for 10 years old, it was a, it was a good experience generally. And then, uh, uh, so McDonald's, I started working there when I was about 15 and then, um, I think I worked there for less than two years. So if you weren't at McDonald's, what would have been a better job? Oh, I still think fast food is, um, it's a good entry level for high school kids. I mean, like I said, it's, it, it, it sets you up for like this may be not something you want to be involved with. Yeah. So, cause some people, the, the, they might be perfectly happy making burgers all day. And I can't say it's not fun. It was, it was a fun atmosphere sometimes, although it was very tiring because the mall at Christmas time was, a uh, that was hours and hours of nonstop cooking hamburgers. Yeah. It was a crazy madhouse. Yeah. So it's something, but, uh, in my travels, I have worked on food trucks. I have worked at concession stands for charity events. I've done so. That experience has made anything along those lines sort of just a throwback. To, yeah, I've done this before. I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I know how to. I know how to do a till. I know how to count pack change. I know how to ask us. I know how to do upsell. All this, all the things you learned are basic skills that you can apply in other places. So I think fast food in general is is okay. And then 
The other thing is anyone who has worked in fast food who then is a customer at a fast food restaurant will probably tend to treat people better. Yeah. Yeah. So Typically a little ever, more respect. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever been to a restaurant or a, or a fast food, any, any service industry, anything, if you're treating uh, uh, the wait staff or the bussers or the bartender or the, you're complaining about the kitchen staff, if you've never done that before, then you're like, how come this is taking seven minutes instead of five? You know, the, some of the complaints can be frustrating and, mm-hmm. you know, reality. So if you've done this work though, you're like, okay, take your time. I always say that. I'm like, Hey, <laughs> I would rather the food be cooked than not. So things like That's this, true. So, you know, That's no worries. True. My first job was a checker in a supermarket and that was way before they had scanners and self-checking. I mean, this was, you know, right after Noah and his arc. And that was interesting. I think I did a dollar 65 an hour as uh, as my wage. And you you start like you said, you start respecting the person who is doing that job when you're on the other side. So I think uh, kids working in high in uh, high school is is a definitely a positive. I think if you Yeah, have- and plus fast food restaurants are usually flexible enough especially because they're so margin sensitive. So they, they don't want you working overtime. They'll even do 20 hours. So they don't have to do anything with, if there's health benefits or any of that involved, they don't have to deal with it. So you can definitely fit that into a, you know, I'm in high school. I can only work from four to 10, two days a week. And they're like, okay. You know, so whatever your schedule is, and then you can bump it up over the summer or so, so it's flexible enough. And the turnover is such that you're not going to, you're not going to leave a mark on your permanent record if you uh, if you quit or if it just doesn't work out. They're like, oh, this guy, don't hire this guy for your software engineering role. He did not know how to flip a burger. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Well, I wonder if there's anybody who worked at fast food and then went on to be a chef because there are people who are born to cook. We have a relative like that. He enjoys yeah. cooking. He has a really great restaurant. Unfortunately, not on this part of the country. Um but he does enjoy cooking, whereas, you know, there are other people who say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Let somebody else do it. So that would be a good uh, entry level for a wannabe chef, I think. Just my yeah. opinion. Well, so part of this Kitchen Impossible thing is just, like I mentioned, the communication stuff. Like, you know, 60% of the time, communication between kitchen, back of the house, and front of the house especially if it's there's (laughs) I've never owned a restaurant before. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, I know I can tell, you know, he's very brutal, (laughs) but you'll have, you'll have the owner. One of the owners will be the front and they'll be trying to be a host or hostess. And the wait staff doesn't communicate. There, There was one person who was putting people would come and she would seat them in haphazardly so that some sections were full and some were not. And so the, the wait staff was not dealing with that well. And so the food orders were getting stacked up. So it was just total chaos because uh-huh. there was no, uh, there was no connection between what I'm doing from the moment a customer walks to the door and how that will affect the entire workflow, kitchen foods, you know, order taking preparation, delivery of food, you know, how does that all fit together? And if you never think about that, then you're like, I don't know what they're doing back there. And I think, I think that same person that, 
corrected me on the cash register thing had the same sort of disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you don't have so if you work at McDonald's, you can see everything. There is no back and front. It's the there's the kitchen. You can see them all. They can see you. So everybody can see visually. You can see what happens if you, you know, like, hey, how long until I get my special order? You know, burger with no meat, cheese cheeseburger, no meat. And they're like, it's it's uh, turning right now. And you're like, oh, so I know that's a minute and twelve seconds till it's done, mm -hmm. right? So if you know these things, you can fit it in. And then the quote best unquote employees at that McDonald's were able to coordinate these food order delays and have like, okay, your burger will be out in three minutes. So just wait right here. They wouldn't get them the French fries and have them sit on the tray because they'll get cold. So you start to really put together. And then, so that, that's, that's like, uh, like workflow 101. Well, how does that impact you in your life? Uh, you do a kitchen design, you understand that uh, you've, you make this comment frequently. You can't put the countertops in until the cabinets are in, right? So, <laughs> So when you understand the causality and what happens when there's delays and yeah. So yeah. Well, that even food goes is... along with cooking in your home. You don't do, you don't put the roast beef on the plate and you delay the potatoes or whatever. So trying yeah. to get things done in a timely fashion. So it's all coordinating together. Yeah. That's what these kids at McDonald's were learning. So and, connecting and, that yeah. food preparation experience with then whatever you're doing. Like, I mean, I, you know, in the software world, if you're working with more than, you know, you, if it's, if you have a team of developers and they call it a race condition when like, oh, I have to fix my bug first. Cause otherwise when you fix your bug, it's going to cause my bug to be, you know, so race conditions or um, when systems are running, there are uh, parallelism issues. And so there's all this stuff that if you just start from basic ideas, like, don't don't get the French fries until the burger's ready. It's a good seed, I think, for for a lot of things. So yeah, so that all starts with you know training and organization. But I and you get to direct ask... feedback. Yeah, that's the last part. You get direct. The customer is usually staring at you like with a with a unhappy face. <laughs> so whatever's happening, and yeah. some things are out of your control, and you have to deal with that, right? So that's that's a fact of life. So it's a fast food is a microcosm of real world experiences interacting with customers in a real retail setting with managers with colleagues with various levels of commitment to the job and experience so it, it, i think it's a good microcosm of education so we know that you have a lot of experience with food truckers so have there been any people who have a food truck but they had no restaurant or cooking experience, but they thought, oh, yes. this is going to be fun. So how does that turn out for them? I mean, th this could be learning on the job, but this is their own business. I, for, for the, based on my travels, which I certainly have not talked, I've talked to a lot of food truck people in a lot of places, but not, certainly not everybody. But my take was about a third, very grossly speaking, about a third are like chefs or or food oriented people and they want to bring their concept without having to buy a restaurant or you know pay the ridiculous rent on a on a restaurant space so they get a food truck and, or a or maybe they go to a farmer's market with a food tent or something so a third of the time it's somebody with a concept or a a family history like I want to bring my childhood cuisines to the masses about a third of the time it's somebody who is excited about 
say you could say, so if that's the back of the house, you could have somebody in the front of the house. Like I've always liked the restaurant business. I like working with the customers. I like the interaction. I like serving people with the food and the, the smiles and everything. So if you can get two of those people together, and I have seen that, then that's usually somewhat successful. So you got somebody doing the cooking, you got somebody doing the, the, the customer service. And one of the most successful food truck companies I've seen personally was Koja Kitchen in the San Francisco Bay Area. They had five partners and one guy was strictly in charge of the window, like customer. So he would recognize people and he, Hey Dan, how's it going? And he knew people's names and what they liked. And that was his job. Were they one related? Guy was in char- no, just five friends. Uh, one guy was in charge of the kitchen. One guy was in charge of the, uh, like food ordering and, and, uh, the, the logistics, I guess. And I guess one guy was probably in charge of like promotions and bookings. And one guy was in charge of social media. So his job, and he was also working on the truck, but his number one job was to make sure that anyone, anywhere, anytime, Instagram, Yelp, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, he would respond within, you know, as quickly as possible and maintain these. So you never posted a picture and, oh, Koji Kitchen is, their food's really good. And you never didn't get a response. And they were, hey, thanks for coming out. We really appreciate it. And he got to know you by name. And then often if they were both on the truck, you'd like, oh, is that so-and-so? Yeah. But, oh, that's, Dan. you know, and everybody got to know me just because of the nature of what I was doing. But so that was really interesting. So if you can get people that complement each other in, and a food truck is just an example, right? Any business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a third of the time, though, it was people that saw the trend, the, the trend, I guess, but I don't want to say fad because it's not really a fad, but they, they viewed it. Oh, I can, I can make money on this food truck thing. So they would start a food truck with their buddies or themselves and they would get frozen food and they would, you know, mix up an aioli of some sort. So, you know, oh, oh yeah, we just, we get some, uh, some breaded shrimp from what's the restaurant place? Uh, what that the Costco for restaurants, whatever that, I can't remember the name of it. So we'll go to go to the restaurant supply place, get the couple of cases of, of frozen oh, it's shrimp. It's called Restaurant Depot. Restaurant Depot, yes, thank yeah. you. That's exactly it. So we'll get the shrimp and we'll we have we'll have some fryers and we'll uh we'll drop the shrimp in there and we'll make some aioli with some different chili or you know hot or sweet or and we'll just squirt different sauces on it and we'll call it a restaurant. And that works. It does work. And if you have no emotional investment, you're just turning out the money or you're turning, turning out the product for the money, then, you know, there's a place for those and it's not inspired, but it's carnival food. So, so I asked you, I think I asked you um, before we started uh, recording, have you seen, uh, or what is the status of food trucks now um, with the pandemic? Food trucks are, um, well, I can't speak to like on the ground. I know here in Las Vegas, the problem that I was hoping to help them with as an, as an exercise for me, but as a, I mean, they really need this, uh, most mobile vending in Vegas takes place at large events, uh, first Friday, um, music events, uh, the foodie fest there, there are various events at the, um, convention center. And so the food truck owners pay a fee, usually um, a flat, the, uh, 
a flat fee plus a revenue share. So like mm-hmm. 50 bucks plus 30%, you know, like 30%. Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a restaurant business, you know your margins <laughs> do not are not compatible with 30% revenue share. So then everybody has to raise their prices and it's generally not a great experience. So for, and it, it was actually nice to see the guy on um, Restaurant Impossible. One of the restaurants, the guy says, um, or the, the host says, what, what is this here? You have a food truck? And he goes, yeah, I got the food truck for private events and everything. He goes, why are you not using the food truck? He's like, what do you mean? He goes, you, you're paying like $37,000 a year to have this thing and to, to you know, maintain it and, and inspections and whatever. He's like, you have a billboard that you can be driving around the city. And, and I used to tell people that all the time. You paid for this custom wrap. You should be going to lunch every single day. But here in Vegas, they don't do lunches. They don't go out and advertise themselves. So my, my point was always you should be going just you or maybe you and a buddy, right? Like maybe a lunch and a dessert or two lunches and a dessert or a coffee truck or something. You make deals at office parks or apartment complexes or whatever and just do lunches and dinners and make sure you're getting the word out. Like, hey, we're available for events and this and that. You're not paying any fees. And they were like, ah. Uh, that's too hard. So would you say but, one so of the, the wait, 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 wait. So the, the, wait, so the point I was going to make is when you only go to the large events yeah. and when the large events are then shut down because of social distancing and crowd size and all that because of this pandemic, suddenly you are sitting with no business. Right. And I was saying over and over, you should, you should always have lunch every day somewhere. Yeah, even if you have 20 customers, 30 customers, you're out, you're driving on the freeway, your people are seeing you, you're engaging with more people. Every every person that comes up to your window is a future business opportunity. And they were like, you've never owned a food truck. What do you know? I'm like, uh, well, obviously, <laughs> I don't own they, a food truck. That's what yeah, I know. They may know how to cook. They don't know how to market. And I, it's, there's, it's there's a lot often, of people who fall into this. They have a business no matter what it is. They don't know how to market it. They, well, yeah, the, the take home is that they're only, they're only excited by crowds, right? If you have a crowd of a thousand people, but you have 50 food trucks, you're not going to get a thousand customers. Right. But if you go to lunch at an office park and you get 20 customers, you're going to get 20 customers, you're going to get 20 customers. And one of those customers might say, Hey, do you do private parties? Do you do weddings? Do you do whatever. Or, Hey, I have a friend at the, whatever you want to do. They're opening a new. So, so every time you do that and you can actually talk to people and you hand out business cards or you make that engagement, you develop your own business opportunities that you're not paying for. But if you're always going to first Friday where I think there, they were charging $450 to park there with no advertising, no promotion whatsoever. So you're just handing money over to a 501 C three charity and they're not doing anything for you. Right, with no guarantee on you making at least the money that you spent yeah. back. And you're lost in a sea of vendors. Yeah. And I always used to tell the vendors, I took a picture of the site where the first Friday event is on Thursday. And it's an empty street. And I said, the people are not coming to this street to hang out. They are coming here because you are paying $450 to be here. Yeah. So there should be some sort of symbiotic. Anyway, so so uh, the pandemic has made it more challenging for these larger events, but a, a smaller event, a food truck can bring lunch to your office. It'll be prepared usually on site. So it'll be essentially freshly prepared and delivered to your employees if you want to do a, you know, a lunch inside or something. Uh, 
you can eat outdoors. Food trucks don't have the curse of a closed dining area, which is always bad for transmission. And um, so, yeah, the smaller, smaller venue, smaller event type stuff should be more successful than the larger stuff. So they, they can survive. So we'll have to Before, check out Phoenix while you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to look at, um, what's that event? Um, well, I can't remember the name of it. That, that guy that he's, uh, does events remember. out there. Before before we end, which is coming up soon, um, first of all, I want to say that the the show notes newsletter and the weekend edition are going to merge. So the show notes will mention the details, but I'm just going to go with one newsletter publication instead of having it come from two different places. Good. So keep an eye out for that. And then uh, make sure you check out designing designercirclehq.com for Nancy's other podcast, Home Design Chat with Nancy. So it's got to get those plugs in because we're going to end on the refurbished phone note. Yes, I do notice that my phone is uh, on its way out. You know, the demise of the Pixel 2 um, XL is, well, is gone because they stopped um, supporting it last October. So I can't do any updates. So right. I wait till the last minute, obviously, because they've come out with the three, the four, the five, and now the six is going to come out. So I was looking at some articles on comparing one brand to another, what's better without spending $1,000 on the Pixel 6. And I came across an article that said, should you buy a refurbished or used phone? I asked you that. I want you to uh, comment on that because you are probably the one person I know that has worked on the hardware for phones, correct? This is true. Yeah. I worked so, at Palm yeah. on the Pre and the Pixie. Um, you did, didn't you work at Apple on the, or maybe it was on? I worked at Apple before the iPhone. I oh. know um, if you look up Andy Grignon, he was like the VP or he was some super high level iPhone person. He's been interviewed many places. He also worked at Palm. So I know Andy, I know many people that were at uh, involved with the iPhone development for, in the early days. Uh, several of those people ended up working on the Palm Pre because it was uh, like, hey, let's let's do something new again mm-hmm. instead of being stuck in the Apple machine. But yeah, so I um, worked on the, the Pre and the Pixie from Palm. Neither is still around today, but it was a fun project. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? What should I do? So I mentioned those, first of all, because both the Pixie and the Pre and the Pixie, in that order of release, had what's called a user serviceable battery, which means you could pop the back off, you could take the battery out, put in a new one. You could have two batteries and switch them so you could always have a nice charge and you're all set. And if you have had your phone for more than two years, this applies to most phones now, especially if they're completely sealed, so not a user serviceable battery, Right. You will find that the battery is harder and harder to charge and doesn't maintain a charge for nearly as long. So you're like, oh man, I used to be able to carry my phone around for the whole day. Now it's like two hours. Right. That's so where I am. A couple of things happen. One, your flash memory is probably full. So that will that will start to slow things down because your phone is spending more time on disk flash disk maintenance on it. So, that, so your phone will start using a little bit more energy for that and it'll, it'll appear sluggish. But the battery itself no longer has the ability to retain a 100% charge, right? 100% charge is no longer the same amount of charge. 
and there's something called a gas gauge. It's a charge counter. So it's counting the electrons flowing out of the battery. It's a Coulomb counter. And the battery will not store as many Coulombs, right? So it will not store as much electron fuel to power your phone because it's that's the way battery chemistry works. So the number one thing I would see as a potential issue for a refurbished phone, because if they refurbish that phone and they want to make money on it, they're not going to replace the battery. They're going to look at the screen and they're going to say, okay, no cracks, all the pixels work, the charging port works, the speakers work, the headphone jack is still intact. There's no apparent damage. Because uh, when you trade in a phone, that's the question really. Does it power up and is the glass broken? That's it. So they'll they'll do an assessment. Do they replace that battery? Who knows? Because the battery replacement costs like 40-ish dollars plus labor. So I have a Pixel 2 XL, and they say you can't change out the battery. But for somebody who knows how to do it, is it possible to take the back off and put a new battery in? Or are they made where you just can't do that? Uh, you can disassemble most phones. So in the case of Pixel phones, they are they can be disassembled and batteries replaced. You can replace a screen. You can you know you can you can tear the phone down and replace parts. Uh, the phone is glued together. So step one is to heat up the phone so that you can separate the back with you know get the glue gummy mm -hmm. and you can pop the back off. And then you just have to carefully you know however the battery is attached into the circuit you you desolder it or however it's in there and you replace it. And then you put the back back on and you glue it back on and all that. So if you go to a good place that knows what they're doing and they've done this many times, then you're probably fine and they'll replace the battery and you're out whatever, battery plus labor. Uh, hopefully they don't break the screen or hopefully the internals are not such that a, a weird cable will get cut by accident that's hard to replace or all these things. And hopefully when they glue the back back on, it will, it will be okay. So yeah, non-user serviceable battery devices are common now because you can make them nice and thin and uh, user serviceable batteries can be removed at any time. So the, the phone has to be made resilient to power failure, which is sometimes a headache. So here you have a closed system, you know that the battery is not removable. So it's just a pain. And uh, so, so you, I would want to find out very explicitly whether the battery was replaced. Because if not, if you're getting a phone that's more than 18 months to two years old, you may, uh, how, you know, most people use their phone by charging it to hundred percent and they leave it plugged in overnight or something. And then they unplug it and they use it through the day and then they might have to charge it again through the day. So the battery is charging and uncharging and a battery is almost literally a spring, like a, you know, a spring that you spring, mm -hmm. spring, boing, boing, boing. And, um, so the more often you charge and discharge, the more the more you're pulling and pushing on that spring. And eventually the spring stops being so springy. So that's kind of what, that's a reasonable analogy. So the more you do that, the less likely the spring will have the same springiness. And eventually it'll just be sprung and you'll be like, ah, oh, it doesn't, doesn't spring back as much anymore. Yeah. And uh, so something similar happens with batteries and they just stop delivering current. They stop charging as quickly, discharging as well and you you end up with a negative experience so you've bought a phone that you now have to rehabilitate now, if they've not repl if they've replaced the battery that's yeah. then it's okay because that's so, really the only thing that wears out on a phone so on the um, what is the negative of keeping a phone that 
uh, does not get any updates. Well, you, st you have the same problem. So your battery will stop working as well as it did. Every there, there's a point where just every day, there's just a little bit less charge getting stored and it's a, a little bit less able to deliver the charge. So. But those, the, somebody the, said those, if you don't get updates on your phone, you've got a better chance of somebody hacking your phone. True. Yeah. I mean, the, the data, if you never install new software, new applications on your phone, uh, or if you don't install new, like you're not installing the latest and greatest games and weird software that has, if, you know, if you're just using the, the, the normal stuff, that's, I'm not going to say that's not a problem, but it's like, eh, you're not as at greater risk as if you are a uh, promiscuous app installer. Oh. So, but certainly software updates are uh, important. I don't, I don't mean to diminish the importance of that, but the number one day-to-day -day issue for a phone as it ages, it used to be that flash memory would have a, a lifetime and mm -hmm. they would start really slowing down because the erase and write cycles and stuff would take forever. But that's that's not as much a problem. But battery chemistry has not been keeping up with flash memory technologies. So the battery is the number one problem, to be honest. The lens, the uh, the lens, the the LCD screen or the OLED screen, or whatever your display technology is, may not be as bright. But that's not that's usually not the overriding issue. It's probably going to be the battery. It's the thing to check. Yeah. Okay. Well. That's going to be one of my. So that's something to think about. Yeah. What you could what you could consider is take the uh, get whatever the price is for a refurb. You find out what it would cost to replace the battery in the phone mm -hmm. from a local. You know, I want to replace the battery in this phone. Okay, and then if you attempt to buy a refurb phone, ask them if the battery has been replaced, and if they do tell you, they may or may not be honest. That depends on who you're getting it from. But you can also usually, I mentioned the gas gauge thing. So there are, there are smart battery technologies in the battery and in the charging circuitry that should be able to tell you how many hours are on the battery. Really? How many kilowatt hours or whatever, oh. <laughs> milliwatt hours. So, um, so if you were to use a battery app on your phone that says, you know, it checks these values, it might say, oh, this battery has been in use for uh, a thousand hours. <laughs> and like, oh, this is not a new battery. Ah, okay. So you can do that, but then you wouldn't know that until you've purchased the phone. So yeah, so it's um, um, a chance that you can take. Okay. Yeah, you have to weigh the the, the savings against the uh, assume. I assume they're going to warranty it and all this. So, Dan, you're just a plethora of information, and I look forward to you uh, coming down to Phoenix next week. In the meantime, I hope everybody enjoyed or got some information that was useful out of this podcast. I know I did. And if you uh, can share this with your friends, we'd appreciate it. Also, you can subscribe. I do want to mention that my other podcast is all about design. We never talk about phones, restaurants, or anything else. Just pure <laughs> design about your house. And it's called Home Design Chat with Nancy. So be sure to listen to that, too. That's also on Anchor, as this one is, too. Um, so do you have any parting words, Dan? Um, yeah, just remember the, the, the two newsletters are going to become one newsletter from the review platform, which has its own issues. But um, yeah, so Unified 
show notes and whatever else. And uh, send an email to join at hugofloss.co if you would like to be a guest on the show. We can talk about batteries and phones and restaurant recovery and uh, who knows what else. Right. Well, we can talk about your fast food injuries. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, stay safe. Wear your mask. If that's what you want to do, it's totally up to you. Get vaccinated if you haven't, but then again, that's totally up to you, and have a great day. Just remember your decisions affect everyone around you, but it's totally up to you. Have a nice day, Nancy. You too, Dan. Bye. And everybody else. Bye-bye.